0: The Mac Observers Mac Geek Gab episode 813 for Monday, May 4th, 2020. Greetings, <laughs> oh, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observers Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your questions, your tips, your cool stuff found. We take them all, we mix them into an agenda, we mash it all together, we try to make some sense of it, and the goal is that we each learn five new things every single time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include MintMobile.com/MGG. SmileSoftware.com slash podcast, where you learn about a great new version of PDF Pen version 12, mailroot.net slash MGG, and expressvpn.com slash MGG. You'll visit those links now because that's how you help us. Uh, what happens beyond there is between you and the sponsor. You don't have to necessarily buy anything if it's the right thing for you. Great. If not, great. Uh, but it's our job to encourage you to uh, to check them out and want to learn more. We'll talk more about them each a little bit later here in the show. For now, as usual, here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton.
1: And here in uh, getting balmy, Fairfield, Connecticut, yeah. this is... John F. Braun. Yeah, I man. It's um the AC. I know. I, I almost put the
0: AC on before the show. And I, in fact, I'm probably gonna regret not having put it on by the time the show ends. Um, so so there you go. But that's okay. Uh it's good to sweat a little bit. It's nice to have some weather where we where we have to. It's good. I cleaned mm-hmm. my I power washed my my deck furniture um yesterday. It's such a satisfying thing, power washing, you know. Mm-hmm. Because you get to see it just like instant gratification. It's good. Uh, speaking... Yeah, I should do my of, oh. deck. <coughs> yeah, yeah. Power washing's fun. I like it. It's great to clean the furniture because it's just like super easy. You don't have to scrub anything. to You're good to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of instant gratification, let's get to the show, shall we? Douglas sends in a quick tip for us. He says, having my iPhone wake up when I pick it up is convenient when I want to use it, but it's a real pain when I am just picking... It up uh, to put it in my pocket move it or even clean the screen so I turned off raise to wake in settings display and brightness raise to wake instead I now use tap to wake which is actually the default setting on the iPad Pro with face ID this is located in settings accessibility touch tap to wake now all i have to do is tap anywhere on the screen and it will wake up unfortunately i still have to slide the iphone in my hand so that my thumb can reach the very bottom in order to swipe to open and he says of course i could have a fist shake about that but we'll save that for another day so thanks douglas yeah that's uh that's great i like this tap to wake thing really smart yeah it's pretty good man yeah it's good I know you don't have a tap-to-wake iPhone. Well, wait, does your iPhone 8 do raise to wake, John?
1: Yes. It does. Okay. Yeah, if I pick it up in the morning, yeah, it, it, it comes on. It knows that something's happening. It knows. Okay. That's cool.
0: Yeah, I, yeah, I, I agree. When that feature first came out, I liked it. But now uh, there are times when it's like, just don't wake up. Leave the screen off. It's fine. And that's especially helpful if you're putting like a a screen protector on or something and you don't want the screen to wake up all the time. You could turn that off even um, temporarily. So yeah, pretty good. All right. Uh, John, you and I were talking earlier this week when we were doing some uh, experiments. And for those of you that haven't seen, we have uh, been been allowing... uh, We've turned on our cameras, I guess is the right way to say it, so that uh, we're still recording an audio show, but for those of you that want to watch... Uh, either while we record it, uh, you can join our calendar at com slash calendar, or you can watch it after the fact on YouTube or Facebook is where, uh, is where we have that. But it's still an audio show, so, you know, bear that in mind. We try to bear that in mind, too, and not say, hey, look at the screen. Uh, although there might be moments when we do that. So, anyway, you and I, earlier this week, John, were... Um, we're chatting as we were tweaking some of our new setup here. And you asked me, you said, man, why is why is messages on my Mac not in sync? And I was like, aha, a quick tip that was not so quick to get to. I find that messages on the Mac needs to be quit and relaunched regularly. So I've added it, of course, to Quitter. And I have it quit messages after 180 minutes of inactivity, which basically means overnight. Because... It's rare that I would be at my Mac for uh, and, and not at least touch messages once every uh, 180 minutes or something like that. So uh, quitting it once a day has solved that problem. And if you're having a problem where your messages between your phone and your Mac aren't in sync, just quit messages, relaunch. That has solved it for me uh, most of the time, I will say. Did that work for you when you did that, John?
1: Um, uh, sometimes it does. Okay. Um, The other thing that works, so one, um, I verified that Messages in iCloud was on, and you do that, you go into Messages, iMessage, and there's a little box there. There's also a little button that says Sync Now, and that has actually uh, worked as well. I I think another thing, I forgot where the report was, but um, um, probably not a surprise, but Messages is probably getting a workout these days. I think usage has has gone up. I'm trying to remember if I where I saw a report of that, but it could be that it's just taken a while to push them up to the cloud and then suck them back down. But um
0: maybe I don't know. I mean, I'm not having any messages isn't slow on my iPhone, so I don't think it's a server problem because it would be the same server, right? Between the same two between the Mac and the iPhone. So, I Yeah, not-
1: the thing is is that it used to be in the past when I got a text or a message on my phone, it would show up almost immediately on my Mac as well because they're all, right Cause it was doing the iCloud thing. Sure. So yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. It could, I mean, who knows, but I, I've found that the Mac it's my problems have been local to the Mac it, 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 mm-hmm. as far as I can tell. Yeah. So, all right. And uh, let's see. Listener Elliot reminds us if you recently we talked about the uh, the 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 terminal command that you can issue to re-enable the startup chime on your Mac especially newer Macs where it has been off for years. There's the it's secret. We'll put it in the, it's not secret. We're about to tell you what it is. Uh, we'll put it in the show notes at MacGeekab.com, but it's sudo NVRAM startup mute equals percent zero, zero. And there are some capitalizations that matter in there, but just go copy it from the website. Um, do that. And then the next time you reboot it'll, the startup chime will happen. And that's awesome. However, if you do a PRAM or NVRAM reset, that also gets reset. So don't forget, like, go save that somewhere. Uh, I mean, it'll always be in the show notes of Maciekab eight thirteen, but uh, but you can, you know, go save it somewhere once you grab it from the show notes, so that you have it in your in your little file and uh, and reissue that every time. I know it's a pain, but we like to have the startup chime. Most of us do anyway.
1: So so there you go. Thoughts on that, Mister Brown? I mean, sometimes it's actually necessary because. The timing of some things, um, like holding down certain key combinations, has to be done after the chime or before the chime. So having the chime exist (laughs) will help you navigate those. That's true. uh,
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. All right. Uh, let's see. I, I, you know what I would like to do here, John? I'm actually really excited about this. So I would love to talk about our first sponsor, if that's okay with you, my friend.
1: Okay.
0: All right. Our first sponsor here is Smile. Smile. At smilesoftware.com slash podcast, which is where we can all go to check out the new PDF Pen 12, the ultimate tool for editing PDFs on our Macs. And the new version, of course, adds several useful features. First of all, we know that we love to use PDF Pen to sign documents, but sometimes you got to use a service like DocuSign. Good news. PDF Pen 12 includes built in DocuSign support now for digitally signing PDFs. That's freaking awesome. A new magnifier window allows you to magnify any part of a document independent of the document zoom level. That's right. You can magnify one part, but not the whole part. Pretty good. You can also optimize your PDFs for smaller file sizes with customizable image compression settings. This is what they've done here. In fact, there's advanced PDF compression overall going out. You can even have this little call out tool now that allows you to like point at things that you need people to see and make it really easy to highlight things. It's very, very cool. Go to smilesoftwarecom slash podcast. That's where you'll learn about and be able to download PDF pen 12. You'll also be able to tell them that's where you heard about it, PDF pen. So our thanks to you for checking it out and our thanks to smile and PDF pen for sponsoring this episode. All right, look, you've heard us talk about how important it is to have a VPN here, right? And now that pretty much all of us, or at least a lot of us, are working from home, it's even more important to choose a VPN that you trust. And of course, we research things. We've been using ExpressVPN, our next sponsor here, for well over a year because it works. We trust them, they know what they're doing, and it's super easy, one click, to get Turned on with the VPN or turned off with the VPN. And that's true on your Mac, your iPhone, your iPad, doesn't matter. And one of the reasons we trust them is because ExpressVPN doesn't log your data. All those like cheaper free VPN companies, they make money by selling your data out to ad companies. You don't necessarily want that with your vpn browsing right the whole point expressvpn developed a tech that they call trusted server that makes it impossible for their servers to log any of your info and expressvpn one of the reasons we trust it is because it's fast you just connect and you can stream and like do all the stuff that you want to do It's there's no difference It it just works except it's private right it's good Super easy. You got to go check it out, and you can get an extra three months on a one year package by going to expressvpn.com slash MGG, right? So you can protect yourself with the same VPN that we use here and we trust. Again, that's expressvpn.com slash MGG is where you go because you're a listener to get an extra three months for free on your one-year package. One more time, that's expressvpn.com slash MGG. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for sponsoring this episode. All right, John, let's... Um Let's go to some cool stuff found, shall we, my friend? Cool. Cool. Uh, Joel brings us here. Joel, oh, yeah. He talked about, he already told us about the Starling Home Hub, which is uh, available at starlinghome.io. He says this allows you to add, the Hub automatically adds all your Nest devices to HomeKit. So you don't have to use HomeBridge, although you could, and, and my guess is that the Starling Home Hub is doing some sort of home bridge inside of it, whether it's home bridge or their own thing that they've cooked up. I don't know. But approximating that same thing where it's acting as the bridge between HomeKit and your Nest devices. So uh, we will put a link to that in the show notes. That's a nice, nice way to go about it. If you don't want to have to um, you know, drive yourself crazy with uh, with all of that stuff. So that's pretty good. Hey, right. Good. Mr. Braun? Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. Uh, Scott tells us about CRISP at K-R-I-S-P. He says, I found an outstanding app that works with many applications for noise reduction called CRISP. It's a must-have app for your Mac, your iPad, your iPhone, or your Android phone. He says, I use it on my Mac Mini, which is connected to my Klipsch speakers, no relation to Crisp and Klipsch. Uh, he says, when I'm, I do use it when I'm using FaceTime, Zoom, Hangouts, etc. He says, I have a small space heater in my uh, little man cave here, which is loud. When I'm on a video chat, you can't hear it at all when Crisp is enabled. So that's pretty good. I, I've, I've, we tried using, we didn't try crisp for you, John, but we tried using something to eliminate your like fan background noise. There was a, a thing in audio hijack, I guess, that allowed us to try that, but, um, but it caused too much of a, a lag, right? So we, we didn't, well, maybe we should try out crisp to see if that, uh, if that can help, I, you know, something. It's good, right? It's in Discord now, too. I think they, they, like, Crisp has automatic, like, it's built, it's baked into Discord, I saw when I launched it the other day, which I thought was cool. Okay. Right?
1: Yeah. I should also check my fan settings. Your fan settings? Your fan settings on your? Uh, Synology will allow you to, uh, I think it's in their energy Saver allows you to tweak the uh, fan operation. Okay. You can say, go for it or be quiet right right right
0: <laughs> moving them to the off axis of a microphone is helpful too right so if like if your microphone yeah. is aimed completely away from your uh devices that make noise that also with the right microphone with a directional microphone with yes. a cardioid pattern that would work. With a hypercardioid pattern, you want them not straight on but off axis because hypercardioid actually picks up stuff at 180 degrees. Not as much mm-hmm. as at zero degrees, but some at one eighty. So anyway, the things you learn when trying to tune feedback out of monitors. I miss tuning feedback out of monitors. I want to go back outside and play gigs and do that, but you know, soon. Soon. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did I hear you say feedback at macgeekab.com, Dave? I did not say feedback at macgeekab.com, but we can say feedback at (laughs) macgeekab.com. That's the uh, email address that you would use to send all of your your questions and comments and tips and tricks and cool stuff found and whatever, thoughts, please send them. We love to hear from you. We also love reviews. We love reviews. MattGeekUp.com slash reviews is where you can go. That's the closest we can get you. We got a new one in this week. It was actually an update from uh, Slock from Denmark. He had left a review uh, years ago and then updated it. And he says, uh, This is by far the best Mac Geek podcast. I always enjoy John and Dave uh, taking on the Apple life. This podcast is about everything Apple Wi Fi routers, tips, and tricks. This one has it all. John and Dave make it easy to understand. I learn at least five new things every time I listen. Keep up the good work and don't get caught. Thank you, Slock. That's great. Thanks to everybody that leaves those reviews. We re- it, it really makes a difference for us. So, MacGeekup.com slash reviews. It'd be great. And, uh, yeah, good. All right, uh, let's uh, let's keep keep trucking with cool stuff found, shall we, John? Cool. Uh, Patrick reminds us of uh, Tinker Tool System. He says not only is Tinker Tool System awesome, but the instruction manual, which is online, is a virtual mentor when it comes to understanding various parts and such, read the nuts and bolts of your Mac and Unix. Just a free little tip no that's a great cool stuff found Patrick we'll put a link to Tinker tool system in the show notes we've mentioned it several times over the years but this is a good one to come back to it is not one that I have like embedded into my own personal workflow so um so there you go it's it, it, it won't come up unless you folks mention it but eventually I'll embed it into my workflow are you a routine user of TinkerTool system John
1: uh, not routine. I looked and it's on my MacBook pro, but not on many. Okay. So Got it. I haven't used it in a while. Yeah. 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 But, um, yeah, let's see. Let's just see what's happening underneath the covers. Yeah. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah. Pretty cool.
0: Um, I was, I went, John, you'll love to hear this. I went to showstoppers last week. Um, but I didn't actually go because we couldn't have showstoppers. Uh, showstoppers is one of those press events like, uh, like a Pepcom we've talked about on the show, normally you mm-hmm. go to an expo hall or some sort of conference center somewhere and you uh, – vendors have their tables out for a few hours in the evening and you go through and, and they, they show you their new stuff. It's how we learn about a lot of the cool stuff found. Well, we can't do that right now, but Showstoppers held a, an online Showstoppers event. And it was, I think only five companies exhibited. They each had 10 minutes to talk about their thing. And when the, uh, the gentleman from Jabra came on, it was a zoom kind of call. In fact, it was zoom. Uh, I noticed, I'm like, what is that headset he's wearing? Like, that looks pretty cool. I want to learn about that. Well, it turns out master of marketing that he was, uh, Caleb, uh, is, was his name, uh, he was wearing the product that they were demoing and it was the evolve 2 series of headphones now um i've had the opportunity to check out the evolve 265 it's an over the ear uh, or rather i should say on the ear it's not in the ear it's not around the ear it's on the ear uh headphones with a swing down microphone and it like it's they've got like 37 hours or 35 hours of battery life uh the but it's super smart it sounds good both the microphone sounds good the uh the audio sounds good on it the when you swing the microphone down it unmutes you when you swing it up it mutes you uh it links with your obviously your iphone or anything bluetooth if you use microsoft teams it's got an even deeper integration with that uh it's got these cool lights on it john that uh that show when you're on a call versus when you're not. So that if you're in like a, uh, I mean, right now you're probably not in an office with other people, but if you are in an office with other people, they can see, Oh, that person's talking on the phone. I won't interrupt them. But if the red light's not on, then, then, you know, it just lets it go. But really, really nice stuff. The, um, the 65 and the 40 are passive noise canceling, which just means that they seal out outside sound. The 80, which is not yet out, but is coming soon is um is has active noise canceling in it so so there you go and uh the 65 which i was able to check out is 249 so it's pretty good um you can get it in black or white so yeah cool stuff and it was nice to be able to kind of experience
1: a showstoppers kind of thing john so it was good yeah did i i think i saw it i'll have to look through my invites i Mm. don't recall getting
0: one okay okay yeah well, uh, the next time one happens, I'll make sure you, uh, you know, cause I know we both love those things. So yeah, mm-hmm. good. Cool. All right. Um, David reminds us that Apple's final cut pro that has always offered a free trial and it's always been 30 days and now it's 90 days that they extended it out. So if you want to play with final cut pro, you can do that. Uh, It's also worth mentioning that DaVinci Resolve is uh, also a pro level video editing, you know, piece of software. And that is free. It is free all the time for the, well, there's a free version that is obviously free all the time. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes too. It's uh, from Blackmagic Design. The folks that make the disc speed test (laughs) app that we all love to use. So Mm -hmm. there you go. Pretty good, huh? Any thoughts on any of this, John? Yeah, maybe I'll give it another look. Yeah, I don't really do
1: a lot of video stuff.
0: You could take our videos here that we're using for YouTube and mm-hmm. Facebook and you could like do whatever edits you wanted. I could even give you the raw video files. You could go nuts. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, listener Patrick. I think this was the same Listener Patrick, but maybe a different one. Uh, cool stuff found. He says, uh, "I just found when I installed Catalina on a new volume, Catalina in Disk Utility, Catalina Data shows like the data volume of the Catalina boot drive shows up with a little house icon on it for home, and the Catalina System volume shows up with a little Mac OS icon on it to show that it is system. This is when you're looking in Disk Utility. That's pretty cool. It does not show up this way if you." Look at these disks while in, say, Mojave, which makes sense because Mojave's disk utility doesn't know how to parse for Catalina's, you know, split volume kind of thing. But, um, but that will show you. So we were talking in a previous show about how to, like, if you had that extra data volume out there, how to know which one is the extra one, this would tell you because it wouldn't have the magic little, you know, blessed icon on it. So pretty good, huh? Mm-hmm. Any thoughts on any of this, Mr. Braun, before we keep trucking along? No. Okay. So a couple of weeks ago, John, I said that I was messing with the fundamentals of our audio setup. Uh, and this is the first show that I'm recording on the new setup. So previously, and when I say previously, I mean, for 15 years, right? Like we're, we're, it's, we're what a month and we're six weeks away from our 15th anniversary of this show. Uh, So for the previous 15 years, the way I have recorded the show in a nutshell is a hybrid of outboard gear and inboard gear. The uh, the audio like from you, John, comes into my computer for obvious reasons, because that's how we connect. And then I would actually send it out from the computer to an outboard mixer so that I could mix our audio live And then capture the whole mix and bring it back in. And the same was true for the theme music and comments that you folks send in. My mic, and if if Pete's here in the studio or whatever, his mic would be plugged into the mixer directly. But it created this this hybrid of inboard and outboard disaster that works, obviously. Uh, It allows us to make it sound good. But it does mean I have a lot of gear on my desk with a lot of wires and a lot of points of failure. So I started thinking. And... I thought, well, wait a minute, I could use Logic as a mixer and do all of this stuff inside the computer. We talked about this a little bit last week. Well, the next phase of that has happened because I am using today the PreSonus Fader Port 8, which is a USB connected control surface, which means I have the faders that I would normally have on a mixer Uh, with Logic. Those are virtual faders. You just drag them with your mouse, right? Because that's how that works. Except if you hook up a control surface to it, like this, and so I can move these faders around, and uh, and and it affects Logic. I don't have to dig through Windows or anything, and plus I can just put my hands on things, which is great. It makes things really easy. Uh, This links so perfectly with Logic too. It's so much more than faders. Uh, It it like I can adjust pan controls. I can adjust. I can tweak the settings of any of our like effects, we have some compression and noise gating and stuff. I can do that on the the unit itself. I can jump around to different parts of the, um, of the, you know, of the audio mix and even of the track. If I'm say mixing songs for my band Fling or whatever, uh, I, it's it's it, it makes workflow so much faster. There's so much. It gives me so many more benefits than I thought I would get just by getting faders external. And it's super smooth and it works obviously with Logic. It works with PreSonus's, uh, their own um, DAW, which, of course, I can't remember the name of off the top of my head. But we will come and revisit that another time because I actually want to try out their DAW Studio One. Is the name of their their digital workstation. So uh, I can. Uh, so it comes. It comes with that, but it also and it i'm super excited about this thing it it just makes life so much easier for me so it is most definitely cool stuff found and i'm i've i've got it right here it, it i actually have the old mixer and this one on my desk still cuz i you know if something happened this morning i with logic i wanted to have the old setup but this will be the last week the old mixer will be uh will be moved aside and uh and we'll be able to to just do it this way so i'm pretty stoked uh, there will be more for the the workflow of course being being added because it's what we geeks do especially when we're stuck in our houses all the time but like i said it works with logic it works with their studio one but also cubase and pro tools and i think it, you can make it work with reaper and you know various other uh, digital workstations but it's really cool how just how smooth and integrated it is and what's cool is It's got motorized faders. So if I adjust a fader in logic, it moves on my desk all by, all by itself. Magic, John. It's pretty good. That
1: was kind of creepy when you showed
0: me that. Mm. Yeah. When we were messing around the other day, I, I showed, I put my camera on the thing and moved it and John's like, wait, how's that moving?
1: There's an invisible force moving.
0: Well, that is true. It is an invisible force. It's just, it's, but it's not, it's not
1: magic. Thank well, God. you don't see the motor, but... Um, That's true. Yeah, so it's not really invisible.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, if you don't see it, isn't that what invisible means? hmm <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see, where are we here? Oh, Robert brings us to uh, cool, cool stuff found. Uh He says, a few episodes back, you mentioned reconfiguring your printer drivers on macOS. He says, I stumbled upon a hidden configuration system for printers when I was renumbering all the IP addresses on my local LAN, and I didn't want to delete and recreate a printer driver that had a static IP. He says, I found the following instructions on enabling and using the CUPS printing system, which is built into Mac OS and enabling the web interface of this CUPS system. So this is pretty cool. Uh, you go to the terminal, and again, we'll put this stuff in the show notes so you can just copy-paste. You go to the terminal and you run CUPS CTL, CUPS control, web interface equals yes, Hit enter. Give it a second to kind of fire itself up. I, I got impatient and it didn't work at first. But, you know, give it five seconds maybe to get it all set up. And then you visit uh, localhost port 31 in your web browser, which would just be like 127.0.0.1:631 colon 631 in your web browser. And boom, you have this huge web interface to manage your the system's look at all of your printers this is where you could reset things and delete things that you see a whole lot more than you get in system preferences, uh, printers and and faxes or whatever the, the thing is in system preferences. And then you can turn it off again uh, with uh, uh, whatever it is, CUPS control web interface equals no. So pretty good, huh, John?
1: Nice. Now, this is different, though. So at first I saw this and I'm like, oh, well, you know, I already have a web Browser access to my printer, or at least one of them. So one of my printers, um, and a lot of a lot of printers, if you just aim a web browser at them um, and punch in their IP address or the name, if you've named it, uh, it lets you control all sorts of things uh, rather than you know fiddling with the one line LCD display and the little buttons, sure. which can get aggravating sometime. Um, yeah, so this is actually the uh, the the printing subsystem, I guess there's ways you can tweak that as well. That's right.
0: This is to this your is max. Right. This is a web interface to yeah. Mac OS, not to your, yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Which means you can like a lot of times when we're troubleshooting a printer, the right answer is to remove it and re-add it. But sometimes that doesn't quite do enough. And so this lets you get a whole lot more granular with, uh, with tweaking it again. Mm. It's, you know, we're geeks, but Uh, So we always say this, but A, it's worth knowing what normal looks like. So go like experiment with this now when you're not having a problem and also learn about the things you can do in there so that when you are having a problem, you say, oh, wait a minute. I know how to fix this. So, yeah, yeah, it's good. All right. Uh, Let's see. Where else are we? That's good. Oh, yeah. I got to check out this thing called the Air Omni 6-in-1 uh, wireless charging base. So it's available on Kickstarter, but the project has more than met its goal. They are making these things. I got to see this at CES but, you know, a lot of things we see at CES, you never really know whether it's going to make it or not. This was down in, in Eureka Park, John, um, which is where all of the startups are. So you don't really know. And, but I kept in touch with them because I was really impressed with it. And sure enough, this thing is, is, is coming to market in a fast, fast way. Um, it is, let's see, it's got, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a charging base. You can, it's got Qi coils for your phone. Uh, It's got one for your watch, but it's really cool. You should watch their video. No pun intended. Uh, The watch coil can be flat or you push a button and it flips up so that if you have a watch band that can't lie flat, like maybe some kind of a bracelet band that is always connected to itself, uh, you just lay it on it. Lay your watch on its side uh, and do this or you can lay your watch on its side and use it as a as an alarm uh, it's got a chi coil for your airpods uh, to charge those as well and then it's got uh port two ports on the side to charge um, you know devices that you just want to plug in and on the the sort of the very back it's a square pad that has all of these things on it at the very back of it it's got a, uh, a sort of a, a rest for your ipad and it's got this coo- it's the coolest thing. I, I don't know that they have a video of it on their on their website, but it is a, the the connector, the charging connector for your iPad sticks up out of the the base of this thing, and you can just rest your iPad on the it sort of on the little rest, and and then it sits there and it charges. And it's got a button on the back that automatically changes that port from USB-C to Lightning, so it like ducks back down. And pops up a lightning one, or ducks down and pops up a USB-C one. It's pretty darn cool how they've engineered this thing, and it works really well. It sits on your desk, your nightstand, whatever it is. Um, so, I, I'm I'm pretty impressed with it. You can get it. Uh, you order it on Kickstarter. I think it's 179. But again, we we'll, we've got a link for it in the show notes. But this, I'm, I you know, I'm always hesitant of these sort of all-in-one charger things, but this one is really well-designed. Like, it's got everything in the spot where you would want it, which is pretty cool. So, I don't know. That's uh, I get excited about this stuff, John. It's how I am. You know? Looks good. Cool. Yeah, I know. It's good. It's the kind of thing that we would get to see. Well, we did see it at CES, so... Uh John I've had the opportunity for the last few days to review and and experience the iPhone SE 2020 the new iPhone SE that we talked about uh just just was announced. And this thing this is pretty cool. So uh I was reaching over to kind of have it in my hand while I was while I was talking about it here. It is so I have the iPhone 11 Pro. Size-wise They are very, very similar. Uh, The iPhone SE is a little smaller than the iPhone 11 Pro, but not much. And as I was kind of going through it, my son made a very uh, concise statement. He says, you wouldn't buy the iPhone SE 2020 for its size. You would buy it for its price. Uh, It is a very nice size, but again, it's about the same size as the iPhone 11 Pro, but of course that's like triple the price of this thing. So, uh, so you would not buy it for the size, but you would almost certainly buy it for the price. It's it's lighter, much lighter than the iPhone 11 Pro. Like, it, I have in fact I should have had the specs up, but uh, but I mean it feels maybe like half the weight. It's super super light, and it is a little thinner. Exactly the same dimensions as we talked about as the iPhone eight, but. Um, uh, but the guts of the 11 pro, right? The, the processor of the 11 pro, the camera is the iPhone eights camera. The screen is the iPhone eight screen. So it's an iPhone, it's an iPhone 11 pros guts inside of an iPhone eight essentially is what this SE is. And it's like 399. uh, setting it up. Of course was, you know, super easy because it's, it's Apple, but I, you know, this is, I, I don't know that we would ever get one as a family here, except this is a fantastic spare phone to have around. What you know, I've always said, if you've got more than I think more than two people in your house with iPhones, it's not worth paying your carrier or Apple for insurance on it. It's cheaper to just buy or keep. An extra iPhone around, like don't sell that for us. We don't sell off the fifth iPhone. We always keep an extra iPhone around. And if something happens to an iPhone, then we have it. And, and this, this iPhone, I mean, it, it for us, this would be the spare, but for a lot of folks, this makes perfect sense as a phone. I mean, it's a, you know, it's got all the speed of the, uh, of the iPhone, um, 11 pro. So it's pretty cool. I know you were looking at at migrating or upgrading, I guess, from the SE, or from I'm, the 8 to the SE.
1: <laughs> I mean, it offers a few additional features that I find kind of compelling. So one, I actually looked this up. Um, so one is that the, it has this portrait mode yep. for taking pictures. Yeah. And I looked that up because it was like, well, don't I have that on the 8 already? And the answer is No. No, I looked up the definition of, or, or I looked up portrait mode, and it's like, oh yeah, you get this on pretty much every phone beyond the eight, <laughs> right? So that's one extra thing, because I guess you need you know a certain amount of oomph. Yeah, uh, that's right. Which this, this has, and this has portrait mode in both
0: on the selfie camera and on the other camera.
1: Oh, ah, that's mm-hmm. pretty
0: good, man. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's
1: neat. Um, what else? Two Sims. You can do which... Uh, uh, one, I don't know if I need to do that. One, one physical SIM, right. one eSIM. That's right. Yep. Right. So I could have two numbers on it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's right. Which, um, I don't know if I need that. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, the only... I may upgrade to it. And, you know, I, I, I've seen some discussions online about, you know, why would you, if you have an 8 and you like it, would you get this? um. Another thing is that when I look at the battery health on my 8, so I've had the 8 for a couple of years now, yep. um, the battery health is at 88%, so oh. the battery's still performing well. That's pretty good, yeah. But when it gets down, you know, to a lower number, and it doesn't hold the charge yeah. as long, yeah, that may be a good reason, well, either get a new battery or, you know, upgrade to this. Well, or... Upgrade to an 11 Pro. Yeah. See, the thing is, I, you know, you, I, I, mean, I still like Touch ID. So, I, yeah. And we've talked about this.
0: I, I really, I have yet to encounter someone. I'm sure it, there's folks out there, and I would actually love to hear about your experience and why, but I have yet to encounter someone that's moved from Touch ID to Face ID and says, I wish I could go back
1: to Touch ID. Um, it, I mean, it's uh, different, but I. I but everybody I think we had somebody write in that said, "Yeah, yeah." Each has its place.
0: Yeah, yeah. I. I mean, I don't. I don't. Well, and the other nice part of the eleven Pro is the the screen real estate that you get, right? Because mm-hmm, even though mm-hmm. the size of the screens are similar your screen real estate on the 8 oh, yeah. is limited by your you know the bars at the top and the mm-hmm. uh, and the bottom to accommodate for touch ID and all of that. So on the 11 Pro yeah. all you've got is the um the little notch mm-hmm. for the for the various cameras and sensors. Mm-hmm. So So, yeah, no, I it I'm I I'm more impressed with it than I expected to be. It's it's a great phone and at that price that's that's unprecedented for Apple to have that kind of you know modern
1: horsepower for that kind of price, I think that's pretty good. I think it's good, and I, yeah, yeah. I mean, as a stockholder, I'm like, you could charge more for this. I mean, you have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they have. That's <laughs> that's the thing. They have. Yeah, but they, but it, no, yeah. So it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Well, even though they did this. Well, they still made money hand over fist. You you saw the financials. I did. I know. Yeah, the iPhone eight seems to be releasing the iPhone eight now. It seems to have
0: paid off uh, handsomely for Apple, among other things, services and that sort of thing. So, uh, hmm. speaking of the iPhone eight and all of that, John, I would love to talk about our uh, our next sponsor. Please. All right. Well, now you've heard about the iPhone SE. And if the iPhone SE sounds like a great phone for you, I have to tell you, you can go get it from Mint Mobile. And they are, our next sponsor, also the first online-only wireless company. Because right now, Mint Mobile is offering you something that no other provider can. It's their 15 plus 15 deal. 15 bucks a month for the new iPhone SE that we just talked about here. And 15 bucks a month for Mint Mobile service. And they're both delivered straight to your doorstep. So let this sink in for a second, right? You get the brand new iPhone SE with Mint Mobile service starting at 30 bucks a month. By eliminating all the traditional costs of retail and by going online only, Mint Mobile can pass these huge savings. They're not paying for retail stores and all of that extra stuff. They pass that savings on to you. And every Mint Mobile plan comes with unlimited nationwide talk and text And crazy fast 4G LTE. We've been using it here for, what, over a year now? And it's super fast. I've got it in the iPhone SE that I've been messing with here. Super fast. It's great. So... Switching is super easy. You get to keep your same phone number along with all of your existing contacts and everything as you know, right? You can migrate all that stuff to a new iPhone. That's not a problem. Uh, it syncs with iCloud because it's an iPhone, right? There's, it's, it's the iPhone SE, so there you go. And you get to keep your same phone number because Mint Mobile makes that super easy. So stop overpaying for wireless and get the premium service that you're used to at a fraction of the cost with Mint Mobile. Go to... MintMobile.com slash MGG to get your new iPhone SE with Mint Mobile service each for just 15 bucks a month. That's MintMobile.com slash MGG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at MintMobile.com slash MGG. So here's the thing you folks have been helping us test our next sponsor here for quite some time and that's mailroot.net slash mgg mailroot helps us and could help you stop email threats now let's define some threats here spam yep viruses yep phishing yep malware yep downtime yep indeed so mailroot was built by people that are obsessive about email and if you've listen to the show long enough. You've heard me say that one of the best business decisions I ever made was to stop hosting and managing our own email server. I stand by that. And MailRoot sort of proves it because all they do is manage your, they don't even manage the server, right? They take it at one level deeper. They manage the pass through so that everything goes through them and then delivered to your existing email address. You don't have to change email address. In fact, you can't, that's not how Mailroot works, but they sit in the middle there and filter everything and show you everything. So it's not just some black hole. You get to look and see like inside the black hole of your email that's been filtered and you get to really tweak it and control it, which is great because we want to make sure we don't miss any of your email while we miss all of the other email that we don't want. You understand as far as downtime, it's pretty cool. They keep a 30-day archive of clean mail there. So if you lose access to your email for some reason, which can happen, we've seen our email providers go down, MailRoot got you covered. They have 30 days of clean email and a nice little web interface, and you can even reply to email from there, right? So it's not just read, it's reply too. Very, very cool stuff. They know what they're doing, and it has been fantastic having them On board as a sponsor yes but also just as a partner and filtering our email for us it's been awesome super easy john and i can both manage it it's it's great so you gotta go check it out go to mailroot.net slash mgg that's where you're gonna go sign up so go check it out free 30-day trial no credit card needed mailroot.net slash mgg our thanks to mailroot for sponsoring this show all right john we've got some uh We've got some more tips. Two more tips and then a bunch of questions. So let's see what we can do here. Todd shares with us. uh, He says, I've been using my AirPod Pros with my iPad lately, switching back and forth between my uh, iPhone and iPad. I was very frustrated for a bit. He says, "Uh, I've been pulling down on the upper right corner of my screen to bring the iOS control panel up, then long pressing on the Bluetooth icon or Wi-Fi or cell data icons. That pops, pops up another panel, that I was then long pressing on the Bluetooth icon and letting go. The frustrating part, my iPhone and iPad would try to connect to whatever Bluetooth device was listed under my finger when I let go. In turn, my iOS device would sit there trying to connect to the wrong Bluetooth device as in my car. After experimenting, I found that the final long press on the Bluetooth icon should not be too long. A tap will turn off Bluetooth. The right long press brings up a list of Bluetooth devices to choose from, and another option is to long press and hold down until you can slide up and down on the list of the AirPod Pros. It seems simple, he says, but man, was it annoying at first, just a simple nuance to get back to sanity. So, TLDR, slide down from the upper right hand of the screen, long press on the Bluetooth icon, then medium press on the Bluetooth icon, and select your Bluetooth device. So there you go. So thank you for that, Todd. Yeah. It's, it's a little weird. It's worth as Todd did, you know, kind of experimenting and learning how long you've got to press and, and hold and all that stuff. So yeah. Thoughts on that, Mr. Braun. Nice. Nice. (laughs) There it is. Okay. Uh, yes. All right. Um, speaking of face ID and, uh, and our current scenario here, Eduardo writes, he says, uh, my old iPhone 10 just started unlocking face ID while I'm wearing a mask. Could it be learning? And I think the answer is yes, it is learning. Uh, Face ID is built to learn and, uh, and you can, it it will learn uh, as you, as you go through this. Yeah. I, I noticed it for mine too, that it was starting to, to get a little better at, at that with a mask on it depends on the mask A white mask is better than one with a lot of um, colors and like patterns and stuff on it but uh but yeah it's it's better it's good and i know some folks have been experimenting with like putting a mask over half their face and training a second face in face id and that has worked well uh to get it to open with the with the full mask on obviously so pretty good um, I like it. You don't have your iPad or any, you don't have any face ID devices, right, John? No, no. Okay. Okay. All right. Any thoughts on that
1: before we move on to, uh, to JB's question? No, I like, <clears throat> no, it's cool that it's smart enough to do that.
0: It, yeah. I mean, I think it's, I, I'm, I'm not sure if it's Apple doing this like about masks intentionally or if it's just a function of how Face ID continually learns and, and knows that if, you, if it scans you and you typed in your password, then it will start to sort of iterate on that. And I think every scan, just like it was with Touch ID, every successful scan continually trains it to, to get better and better. So
1: I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing is that they're not just doing visible light, but don't they do, uh, doesn't face ID also do infrared?
0: Um, it, did. it, it, I don't think it's, it, yeah, there's some infrared in there, but there's also, um, like, like some sort of 3d mapping that it's doing. I forget what the tech is called mm-hmm. on that. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I think you're right on that. Yeah. It's not, you're right that it's not just visible light for sure. Yeah. All right, JB uh, brings us to a relevant question today. He says, um, my new Monoprice monitor, thanks for the recommendation, does not have a camera built into it like the Apple screens do. Uh, A camera today, he says, is essential with Zoom and all of that that we're doing. Uh, What cameras do you recommend? So I will offer this recommendation even if you have a camera in your display. The cameras in Mac displays and in laptops will are, are pretty low-cost cameras, unlike the iPhone, right, which is a, a, a much better camera. The one in your Mac, it's not that great, and it maxes out at 15 frames per second. So sometimes you'll join a video call, like a Zoom call or something, and you'll see people in it. Like some of them are super smooth, and then the others are like, like you. They're like jaggy. And it's because of that frame rate. So uh, getting a webcam, even for your computer that has one, can be really helpful. So I've been a big fan for a long time of the Logitech cameras. The Logitech cameras are the ones that John and I are using here to do uh, Mac Geekab. In fact, we probably need to get you a new one, John. Uh, But I'm using the Logitech Brio that's sort of their top of the line these days. It's two hundred bucks, so it's not overly priced or anything. And it it's a four K camera. It's got a nice warm lens, and it's got, of course, it'll do thirty, I think, or even sixty frames a second. Uh, and it's got a ninety degree field of view, which means that you have more data than you need, and you can narrow it down if you want another big. Uh, big help is an app. You can use the Logitech app to manage your camera, but there's also a third party app called webcam settings. And we'll put a link to the app store, uh, where, where you can go get it. I think it's like seven bucks or something, but man, is it worth it? It allows so much more customization and you can do the customization live without interrupting your video flow. So the Brio is certainly one of those things. Um, but there are others for less. The, um, for 129 bucks, Logitech has the C930, which also has a 90 degree field of view and is a 1080p camera. Mm-hmm. I think I said that the Brio was the um, yep. was the 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 the, the uh, 4K camera. So, do you have a 930, John? Is that right?
1: Yeah, you know, I'm I'm looking. I bought this back in 2014. Okay. Yeah, because at the time, I mean, so the nice thing about it, so it's got a Zeiss lens. Yeah, so it's a Ice lens. Um, the other thing, though, uh, that that caught my eye is that it has a H.264 processor in it, though not all software uses it. I, I think. Remember, we were we were doing some stuff with Skype, and uh, depending on the platform you are running it on, it may be able to leverage that. Uh, that chip. Unfortunately at the time, Skype for Mac did not. Well but it's still good video. It's 1080p, so it's HD technically, and uh so you're on the are you on the C nine thirty E,
0: is that right? Or just the C930? Yes. C nine thirty E. Okay. That's interesting. That cause that camera also has a ninety degree field of view, and yet we find mm. that your field of view seems tighter than mine, but it may be distance from the camera.
1: Um well the other thing we're not going to do it now. Right. We could. But no the um uh, the Logitech app right now I have it set to standard but there's also a widescreen oh, setting. Oh. So
0: maybe little, that's the difference with there. That. Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um and then and so that's 129 now. Uh you probably paid a whole mm-hmm. lot more for it back, you know, 6 years ago. Uh the C925 has a is 99 bucks and it has a 78 degree field of view and also 1080p and i've got a 920 down in the office and it's great it's i mean it it's a it's a fine camera um uh you know so yeah yeah it's it it's the frame rate that really makes a difference uh on all of this stuff so yeah but it's uh it's there you go that's the um yeah i paid uh
1: 107 bucks (laughs) oh that's really Oh, well you found a deal. Yeah. That's pretty good. From the portable guy. So I don't know if it was oh, uh, all right, refurb or something. Yeah. yeah right. But anyways. Yeah. 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 Huh.
0: That's interesting. So, cause we had been thinking that getting you a Brio would expand your field of view, but if they both have 90 degrees, I'm not convinced that that would be the case. Huh. We'll have to mess with it. We'll have to mess with that widescreen mm-hmm. thing. That, that might be yes. part of the difference. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm not convinced of that though, because I think we changed it from widescreen to square in uh with for for use in Mimo Live, which is the app that John and I are using mm-hmm. to do the the video streams to like YouTube and Facebook and that sort of thing. So uh yeah. All right. Well, good, fun. Okay. Uh hopefully one of those cameras helps. If you folks know of one, please let us know. We would love to uh we'd love to hear about your recommendations as well. So it's good it's good uh, Brian has a uh, a question here he asks he says um, let's see I need to install Mojave in parallels on my daughter's new 16 inch MacBook Pro I have two non-geek questions number one where has Apple hidden the ability to download the Mojave installer and two, how do I create the disk image of the OS that Parallels will use? Okay, so and then um he asked a third question or someone else did, but it's it's the relevant question and that is will Parallels run Mojave on a machine that is not built to run Mojave natively and that it would be the 16-inch MacBook Pro right now, right? That only runs Catalina. So the the good news is that the answers to your first two questions are available right on parallel site they have a link to go download the uh, mojave installer but we will put that in our show notes too even better though is that the way that you go about doing this is super simple because you don't have to build a disk image to do this you just download it uh like you would normally download the Mojave installer, and then, with the app sitting in your applications folder, you run
1: parallels and John, you did this right you you made this work I mean, yeah, basically, you bring up uh parallels, you say, "Let's create a new v m and then you drag all I had to I didn't even read the instructions. I looked at them later, but <laughs> of course, <laughs> yeah, I just. <laughs> Well, I, uh, well first off, I had to get a newer installer because my mo- old my Mojave installer w- was expired, and it's oh, like sure. oh, I don't want to deal with that. Yeah, 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 of course. So, um, so I downloaded an updated one that would run, but it, it was literally just dragging it over to Parallels, and then it's like, okay, I'm going to take over. I think it creates an interim disk image for some weird reason, and then it installs it. That's great. But yeah, I I was able to run it on both my mini, uh. uh and and my MacBook, my newer MacBook Pro. So that's awesome. Okay, so Mojave, to confirm,
0: Mojave does run inside Parallels anyway on your MacBook yes. Pro 16-inch. That's awesome. Correct. Okay, that's great. Oh, so problem solved. That's awesome. Ah, okay, cool. Uh, and we've got all those links in the show notes for you too. That's great. Um, I I we will we will move on to. Uh, to listener John with a very similar question here. And he says, uh, I'm planning to buy a new iMac this year, which will then be handed down to my son in a couple of years. With a significant proportion of the Mac game library no longer supported in Catalina, I'm debating whether to buy a refurb 2019 iMac or wait for a new 2020 model. With the 2019 model, I could have a separate Mojave. SSD to run all those old 32-bit games, uh, but that won't be possible with a new iMac if one were to be released this year. You mentioned using virtualization, so I have two questions. Will virtualization allow you to run old versions, uh, older versions than the Mac supports? So check yes. Number two, if it can run in virtualization, presumably these older games, which were designed for older slower Macs, should still run fast enough on a, uh, a 2019 or 2020 iMac Uh, with a core i9 and a decent graphics card the answer i would think is absolutely those machines are super i I mean virtualization doesn't really bring with it too much of a performance hit unless you artificially add one by say limiting the number of processors available to the virtualizer or limiting the way graphics work is that have you messed with that with games john am i right on that
1: Um, yeah, actually, so one thing that I, so I had some older games, 32-bit, before I upgraded to uh, Catalina. Sure. So one was the Steam environment, a couple of games in the Steam environment, and this is actually the recommendation. They're like, well, either don't upgrade or run Steam under Windows. Oh yeah. That's actually what I did. So I actually run my Steam games within a Parallels uh environment running Windows 10. Oh. And the performance is you know it's what's weird is that I also had, which I eventually ditched, but I had a pre-Catalina uh clone. Sure. Uh and I actually tried running it on my newer machine, and the performance wasn't that wonderful. It was actually better under parallels. That that's interesting. Yeah. So I, for so for Steam games, I would say that is one way to go. Okay. Okay, good to know. Um that's great. Yeah, the other the, the other games that I have which we talked about isn't really a big deal, but uh BioShock, I like the uh, BioShock series. Okay. And I actually bought them through the App Store and I tried to re-download them but under Catalina, they're 32 bits, so it's just like no. Oh um, right. They have a new version. It's a uh, uh, Bioshock remastered or something like that. Sure. But I already bought it once. I don't want to buy it again. It's 20 bucks, but still it's the principle of the matter. I already bought the game.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah, 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 I guess. I I mean, I, I totally, I'm split on this, right? Because Mm -hmm. you bought it, but you bought it for a machine that it ran fine on. And now Mm -hmm. you have a new machine and, you know, or a new operating system and it's time to upgrade. I mean, I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I, there's, there's, there's two sides. I don't know. I don't know where I land on this one. So, yep. Yep. That's cool. Okay. I And so my follow up, my final question that I don't know that either of us know the answer to is, is when you are given that we are going to virtualize to run games, right? So, uh, you know, you got a Mac that won't run them with its operating system like Catalina. Are we better off virtualizing Windows and running the games in Windows or are we better off virtualizing Mojave and running the games in Mojave? It, which which is a better gaming platform? I, I wouldn't be surprised to find that the answer is Windows. But mm, I don't know. I, I mean,
1: I'm speculating here. You're having good luck in Windows, so there you go. Yeah, and Parallels you know, apparently is able to deal with the GPU in a way that gives you decent performance. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, and I wonder like, you know, um, Mac OS has metal, right. And windows mm-hmm. has direct X, right. That's the, the tech that windows still uses, right. To, to do all of the gaming so. video stuff, like the direct talk mm-hmm. to the video hardware and it's direct X, it, like, is way older than than Metal, which is why you could run games on older Windows machines when you couldn't run them on older Macs. So I wonder if I, I wonder if the DirectX integration for say you know Parallels or VMware is better than its comparable you know uh, Metal integration on the Mac. I don't know. I'm I'm asking these questions. So yeah, yeah. All right. Well, there you go yeah uh, yeah as um as Brian Monroe at live in the chat is pointing out uh the windows windows is the gaming pc platform thanks to nvidia yeah, apple and Nvidia had a had a bit of a falling out i guess, and so mm, apple didn't get to leverage the gaming concepts from them so hmm. yeah yeah I don't know i don't know all right, uh, let's, see. let's see. While we're on the subject of old Macs, let's go to uh, another listener, John, uh, with who asks, uh, I'm in the process of building a collection of vintage Macs, uh, part of my midlife crisis, I guess, he says. I have a 1998 Bondi iMac G3, an original G4 Cube, an original 15-inch lamp-style iMac, all of which have built-in Wi-Fi on their airport cards. All three computers can run some variant of macOS or OS 10 and two of them can run macOS 9. My question comes uh, my question centers on old versus new Wi-Fi networks. I have a mesh network set up using Amplify HD equipment. Huh, cool stuff. Uh, he says, all three computers can see the network and allow me to enter the password. However, none of them can connect to the network. And instead, I get an error message saying something to the effect that my password is incorrect. All of them can connect via Ethernet, although obviously internet capabilities are limited. I assume this has something to do with different encryption tech, more advanced encryption paradigm on my mesh network, maybe. Of note, I also have an original Airport Extreme router uh, that maxes out at 802.11G, the spaceship style, uh, which is not which is in working condition. Would this be useful in helping to solve my predicament? So I'm trying to think, you know, and I'm trying to think, but nothing happens. Um, remotely, these are always weird things to troubleshoot, right, because we don't have the ability to be hands on. I'm trying to figure out, John, what it would be that's causing this to happen, right? Like, why would it not connect? And one thing, I mean, he mentions encryption. That certainly comes to mind. Uh, He does have the date set on all of them. So, like, the certificates mm. are there. But the way to test that would be to temporarily turn off encryption on the Wi-Fi network and see.
1: Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I'm guessing it's either the, the airport software or maybe the firmware on the airport card that is, mm. yeah, I think it may be the, the level of encryption that it probably has been deprecated on the, the newer hardware that he's trying to connect to.
0: Oh, he might not be able to connect with, it might be WPA encryption in the hardware, but not WPA2, for example.
1: Or, or similar, yeah. yeah. So it's just saying, oh, I sorry, I don't, I don't support what you're speaking yeah i don't speak that language go away so actually run uh, connecting to that older one i think actually that would probably work out
0: yeah huh i yeah i hadn't thought about that that makes sense yeah oh connecting to the older one would that would have been my sort of if you've got it right there create a separate network for those and and forget about it but um Mm -hmm. but yeah yeah i would i I, out of curiosity i would turn off encryption on the network temporarily i mean it's going to break everything else uh for sure but uh but it would answer the question can they at least connect to the amplify and is it an an encryption thing and then you can sort of narrow it down from there but but yeah in in his case i agree john i would i would just use the the 802.11g network just for those devices and then you should be fine Mm -hmm. so You got the trucks driving by you today, Mister Braun. Oh, huh? You don't hear those? They're like super, like. Nope. Get them over here. All right. Uh. Okay. Let's see. Uh. Yeah. Let's go to Robert here. Good. Good. Lots of good questions today. I'm into it. Uh, Robert says, I've got a 2014 Mac mini running the latest Catalina. The machine has a one terabyte fusion drive with, which is a, on that one, 120 gig SSD and one terabyte spindle drive. It works well enough, but I'm thinking to replace the hard drive with a 500 gig SSD storage capacity wise, it would be sufficient for my use. The large media folders could be kept on an external USB three drive after using an SSD in my 2009 iMac for the last eight years, Uh, And he says, thank you for recommending the DVD SSD swap. He says, I've been spoiled by very quick disk response times. I notice a lag in opening large files and opening some apps in design in particular, which I attribute to the hard drive seek times. The boot up is very quick, which makes sense as the OS must reside on the flash portion of the fusion drive. So I have a multi-part question. He says, is it possible to set up the 500 gig as part of a fusion drive? If not, what happens with the 120 gig flash drive? Does it appear as a separate volume? Uh, if it is possible, how about setting up the fusion after installation, the physical swap I've done on other minis. So I'm quite comfortable with that. And would it add the extra 128 gigs in storage space as part of the fusion? Is this even a good idea? So the answer is, um, uh, parts of it I know and parts of it I don't, uh, You can manage your own fusion drive. That is definitely a thing that can be done. I'm not sure I recommend it for all the reasons that you've just brought this to us, you know, not being able to control what lives where. But also, do you really want to have a fusion drive that's managed by something other than macOS? And I'm not sure that you do. So... I would say don't do that. The, the part that I don't know the answer to is whether you can have three drives in a fusion drive. Could you have the two SSDs and the spindle? I, I don't know. Uh, I've never heard that you're the first person I've had to even mention the concept. So there you go. Uh, but I don't know. Yeah, I'm not. I don't know that I would, but I wouldn't do it. I would I would leave them separate so that you can decide that InDesign lives on the SSD and launches everything from there and you're not stuck in exactly the same scenario you are now, just with a larger split, you know, between the
1: two. So, I don't know. That's my thought. What do you think, John? I mean, maybe you could raid the two SSDs and then, but no, that's a bad idea. Never. You
0: could. I, I mean, that's possible. I don't, yeah, I would.
1: I mean, make I them appear as idea. a single drive and then make. That whole thing, uh, part of a fusion drive. Oh my god! I don't know. I've, I've never fusion drive. That just kind of made me nervous. It
0: made me nervous too. Like the history has proven me wrong on that front. Right. That, that Mm -hmm. like they've been super reliable over the years. I mean, when they crater, you're done. You just got to like wipe it and start from scratch, but they have been, um, they have been, you know, really reliable for folks. Just you just run into these weird problems with speed because you don't get to pick where your stuff mm-hmm. lives. So, yeah, yeah. So there you go. Uh, hopefully that helps. Well, I don't know. It's good. Uh, where are we on time here? Oh, oh, whoa! Oh. We're we're still doing good. We're moving quickly, John. Let's talk about uh, let's talk about monitors, shall we? We'll go to Simon. I mean, this is this sort of gets us into monitors. Um. Simon says uh, I'm building a new office in my home and I need a new, uh, or I need an external display for my 15 inch MacBook pro from 2015. Uh, I'm thinking of a 34 K 34 inch 4k widescreen, but I don't know if my MacBook will drive this display. Also, I don't want too many dongles. I want to put my MacBook in a stand and just connect power and Thunderbolt and be ready to go. So, Do I also need a Thunderbolt dock of any kind? I don't think OWC is an option as he is in Denmark, he says, and it's pretty expensive to ship to Denmark and import tax is pretty high too. So, you know, it's hard to answer that question, uh, not knowing what, you know, what's available in country to you versus what you would have to have shipped in. But Thunderbolt two docks are not all that plentiful right now. Uh, OWCs exists CalDigit's Thunderbolt 2 dock seems to be available on Amazon sometimes but it's not available on their site so it feels like Thunderbolt 2 if you want a Thunderbolt 2 dock, go get one now uh, I'm just in doing some searching for Simon here I didn't find many options. OWCs is available for sure. Like I don't see, I don't know how what their stock looks like on them, but they are available. Um, but uh, you know, I don't. Yeah, you you may be in a position where buying the OWC one is the right uh, choice for you, despite the uh, import taxes. And if they if those cause it to be too much, then consider. Buying a Thunderbolt three MacBook Pro and and making that leap, I realize that seems ridiculous on the surface. But if your import taxes and availability dictate that that's the least expensive path or the smartest path long term, then that's also worth considering. So, yeah, I, I'm i Thunderbolt two ducks I I have a couple here, and I'm I've I've shipped a couple out to friends over the years that have needed them, or folks that work for us, or whatever. And now it's like, oh, I hope I hope we all have what we need. So, yeah. You know.
1: What do you think, John? Um I was just looking this up in Mac Tracker, but that yeah. particular machine, it claims to be able to handle Yeah, it looks like 4096 by 2160 yeah. for HDMI. So uh so yeah, that, that machine should have enough uh graphics horsepower to drive a larger screen. Yeah, I think so. I think so.
0: Cool. All right, let's uh, let's stick with the screen thing and go to Robert, who says, uh, for a living, I record training videos on various IT products on Windows, Linux and, of course, Mac OS. It greatly helps my workflow to have many external monitors on my Lenovo ThinkPad running Windows 10. I have six. Yes, six external monitors, plus the internal one using a combination of ports on the docking station and some USB to video adapters. Apple, in its infinite wisdom, seems to think two external displays ought to be enough for anyone. I'm not greedy, but I would really like to get at least three if I could. I'm okay if it means the internal display is disconnected or duplicated, mirrored, with one of the three external ones. Uh, It would also be nicer if I could support something higher than 1080p on at least one monitor, but even there I can be flexible if it means getting to use at least three screens. These could be a mix of HDMI, VGA, or DVI. I currently have two MacBook Pros, a 2014 and a 2017. I'd love to achieve this on both machines, but would settle for it on just the newer one if that's what it comes down to. Do you know of any docking station or other product or mix of products that would let me achieve my goal? So this is one of those things, John. I had a memory, and it turns out it was a memory of 2019's CES. Um, Targus was showing off their USB-C Universal Quad HD docking station. And I think his 2017 MacBook Pro has USB-C on it. If it doesn't, then, uh, then I got nothing. Uh, but that had five screens going. It was four hanging off of this dock and one on the Mac itself, of course. And, and they were doing it with a Mac laptop and it worked. Like no problem, and you could, you know, it, it, it was all managed by system preferences displays, so you were able to, you know, do whatever you wanted. So it looks pretty cool. I had to, I had to go back through my uh, my photos of CES because I knew I'm like, oh, I know we covered this, and like, uh, so I, I just scanned my photos library. I searched for Las Vegas, John, and then mm-hmm. I just started scrolling through, and I, I found it was at like a Pepcom or a CES Unveiled or something like that. So it's pretty good. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes. So hopefully his machine can support it or I don't know if anybody knows of anything similar, please let us know because that would be a good thing. So I don't know. What do you think, John? Moving on. Moving on. All right. <laughs> okay. Uh, Mark has a question for us. Uh, and it, I don't seem to have, Oh yeah, no, I put it in the thing here. Great. Uh, He says, I'm having an odd Bluetooth issue that's driving me crazy and hoping that you can help point me in the right direction. On my 2015 MacBook Air, uh, I use with my AirPods connected for audio and sometimes for the microphone. In the last week or so, whenever my Mac tries to use the microphone from the AirPods, all of my other Bluetooth devices immediately disconnect. The issue does not occur while listening to music. As well, the AirPods work perfectly when connected to other devices. Devices So far, I've tried resetting the Bluetooth module in the Mac as well as the usual SMC and PRAM resets just in case, but no luck prior to this week. No problem. So bi-directional audio definitely causes Bluetooth to use more bandwidth, arguably all of its bandwidth uh, for uh, for that, which is why you can't get high quality audio uh, in your earphones when you are using the microphone on those earphones because the the audio, the, because the, the bandwidth just isn't there. Bluetooth is pretty low bandwidth stuff. Uh, so it is soaking up everything when you use the microphone, but I've never seen it knock things off. I, I would be curious to not have audio playing out, so not be on a call, but maybe just capture the microphone from your uh, ear, from your AirPods, Go, I think the simplest way to do it would be go into system preferences and choose your AirPods as the default mic on your Mac without playing any music or anything, and then just talking to your AirPods. And in theory, you should see uh, activity on the input meter in system preferences, sound input, and then that way you'll know that it is receiving things. And see if it's o- if it's when you have both going or just the microphone going. And I think that experiment would, would allow you to isolate those two. But I'm not sure what that's going to tell you other than answering that question. I'm not sure how informative that'll be, but that would be... A way, you know, a lot of times I just, when I'm troubleshooting things, I just start asking questions that may not like that. I don't know the, what the, the revelation is that an answer to the question would lead me to, but I ask the questions anyway, because holistically you start to get a picture of, okay, here's how it's working. And then maybe that gives you some insight or maybe you stumble onto a thing. I mean, it's usually just dumb luck uh, just by asking lots of questions that you stumble onto the thing that's actually causing the problem. It kind of sounds like this might be a a Bluetooth hardware issue on your Mac, but I don't want to say that for certain, but, you know, you definitely want to narrow it down and uh, move along, you know, move, move the process along. So
1: I don't know. What do you think, Mr. Braun? I was wondering if repairing your Bluetooth devices would. Oh, maybe fix something. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I started scratching my head over exactly how you do that. Um, so one place, so if you run system info, yep. um, hardware, Bluetooth, that shows you all of the devices that your uh, computer knows about that are Bluetooth, and you should recognize them all. Yeah. I would hope. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then I'm like, well, how do you remove them so you can then repair? And I think, I think I found the article here. I think you have to... Or what it says? Uh, control clicking on its name in the Bluetooth menu, uh, I guess, makes the Mac forget about it. So, oh,
0: really? Huh?
1: Uh, yeah, because I was scratching my head. I'm like, well, how do you get rid of uh, the the Bluetooth control panel? As far as I can tell, doesn't show all the devices. You can only see them in System Info. Okay.
0: Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. Huh. All right. Huh. Yeah, I don't know the magic ant. And if you like option clicking
1: on the Bluetooth thing, uh,
0: yeah, no. That gives
1: you a little additional information.
0: Oh, but you do get the remove option. Oh, okay. with that, Good. which I mm-hmm. don't see. Yeah. So if you option click on the Bluetooth menu and then go to a device, it you have not just the connect uh, option, but you also have remove. So, oh, uh, all right. Yeah. 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 Okay. Oh, see right! Vilby in the chat room says that Tooth Fairy might be useful for <laughs> this. Oh, I'd forgotten about that. That's that's one of those handy little apps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. That's that's a good one. Yeah, thank you. That's great. That's great. Cool. Oh, I never heard of that. Okay, I think we mentioned it on the show a couple of years. It's it, there's some I. I I haven't used it, but I certainly, it, I, it sounds familiar. Is that, is that mm-hmm. fair? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, circling back, the uh, I, I meant to mention this when we were talking about um, running games and listener John, who was saying that he was, or listener Brian, maybe it was, that was deciding whether to get a 2019 versus a, uh, a 2020 iMac. So because of all this new audio and video stuff that we're doing up here in the studio, I'm, you know, pushing, beginning to to explore the limits of the 2014 iMac that's up here, as I might have mentioned in the show. And I wanted to bring the one from the office up and bring this one back down, because this, this one's fast, more than fast enough for the office. But I'm using a lot of Thunderbolt 3 stuff in the office, and so it would require more headache than I wanted. And I figured we might as well keep the economy as stimulated as possible. And so I attempted to order... Uh, 2019 iMac for the studio this week, there are none left on the refurb store. So I figured fine, I'll buy it new and I have an order in and it will ship in the early June. So Mm. either there's supply chain problems because of like, you know, C19 or whatever, or there's a new iMac on the way. So, um, so I don't know. We'll find out, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, uh. I mean, it's been over a year, right? The 2019 iMac was March right. of 2019, and it hasn't seen an update since. So, buying one today is probably a foolish move. Um, so we'll find out. Mm. I'll keep an eye on my order and uh, and keep you posted. So yeah, it's good. All right. Uh, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll ask Mace's, we'll, we'll wrap up with Mace's question. Actually, I have two more cool stuffs found to add in the outro of the show, John, that I think you might appreciate. But Mace was pointing out that there were some videos uh, that uh, he's grabbed from YouTube using, you know, like YouTube Downloader for Mac OS or, you know, YouTube DL from the command line or whatever. And the codec, on some of these, uh, the AVC some videos are use the AVC codec, and QuickTime can play those fine. Some use A v one, and QuickTime cannot play those, but VLC can. And Mace was asking, is there a way to tell QuickTime to play? these movies with a different codec. Now there used to be like that Perian thing, P E R I A N. It doesn't exist anymore. It was a slew of like extra quicktime codecs. I don't know of any sort of, you know, default thing that all geeks should install to expand QuickTime's capability codec thing anymore, but I figured I'd bring it up uh, in case anybody did. Do you know of anything, John?
1: Uh <sighs> Codec guide, yeah, I remember it was Parian. I remember trying, uh, yeah. yeah, And there, there was another one uh, for Mac that was uh, free for a while, and then they wanted to charge for it. Yeah, 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 right. No, I'm looking here. I know where they live. They live in Library QuickTime, right? Because I'm actually looking at my list of uh, codecs here, but I seem to recall that QuickTime would redirect you. They're like, yeah, I can't understand this, but you know, go, go here, and maybe I can. Suggest something that will, right? Right, I don't know if that still works though. Yeah, I know, I
0: know. Yeah, so if anybody knows, uh, please let us know because we would love to, uh, we'd love to hear about it. That's you know, that's how we roll. Uh, all right, I have two cool stuffs found here, John, and uh, and I wanted to go through them. These are these are great geeky things, but they are for your kitchen, specifically your microwave and not for your Mac, but super handy right now. So when this whole, uh, you know, quarantining thing happened and paper goods became, you know, the most popular thing since sliced bread, I I guess, I don't know. Uh, we slice our own bread at home, but that's sort of the point. I was like, wait a minute. Every time I microwave, I've got to use a paper towel to keep the, you know, the stuff in the bowl from splattering everywhere. And, you know, I didn't like the idea of using a paper towel every time, but I also didn't like the idea of, you know, cleaning our microwave after every single thing that I cooked. And so we did some research at home. And when I say we, I mean, my wife did research. So Lisa found these two cool things. The first is what we use most of the time now. It is a vented collapsible microwave splatterproof food plate cover from Tovolo. Uh, and it's been awesome. So, and I think you can get them for like 10 bucks or maybe even eight bucks if you buy the red one, which is, which now tells me why we have the red one. So, uh, it's great and it's BPA free silicone and plastic dishwasher safe, obviously microwave safe and, uh, and it works great. And now I don't have to use, um, a, uh, a, a, you know, paper towel. But the first thing that we found was reusable paper towels made of bamboo. And these you actually put in the, you you know, you just use them like you would a paper towel. And then you put them in the washing machine. Don't put them in the dryer, although it turns out they do survive the dryer if one makes it in there accidentally. Uh, But it's a roll of like 20 of them. And I think it's it's not cheap per towel, but because they're reusable, it's not so bad. It's like 13 bucks or something. Uh, 30 sheets for 13 bucks is the link that I found here. And you just, you know, you just wash them in the washing machine and then use them again in the kitchen. So there you go. Bamboo or uh or that. So there you go. Yeah. Cool. Good. Uh and it looks like we have an answer. Have you messed with any of these things, John? The uh the the microwave covers? No. Okay. Uh it looks like something called switch replaces flip for Mac. And this is thanks to Paul Franz in the chat room. So we'll put a link there, but there are, there are codecs here, quick time video codec support and more. So we will put that in the, uh, in the show notes here. And thank you very much to, uh, to Paul Franz in the chat room for that. This is, this is good stuff. So Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. I like it. Good stuff. All right. That's going to have to do it for us today, John. Let me see if I can find the right fader to bring the band in. Hey, hey there they are. I found them. Look at that. It worked right on that, uh, that fader port 8. That's pretty cool. I like it. Ha, ha, ha. Proof of concept. Let us know how uh, how the show sounded to you. It is completely different, different gain staging and gain structure for us, uh, obviously. So different compression, different uh, noise gating, different everything. So let us know if, uh, if you think it's better or worse and, you know, give us your, like, we're audio maniacs here. We want it to sound excellent. Anything less, we will tweak. We will spend money. We will go nuts because... It's what we do because we know that you. It's got to sound good to you. Uh, I did some recordings earlier this week, and I'm like, oh, this is great. And then I listen back, and I'm like, oh, that's grating. Oh, there's no DSer in the mix, so now there's a DSer in the mix. This is what we do for you. So,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right, Mr. Braun? Yes. Okay. Good. 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 Uh, wait, we gotta turn that off and that off. Okay. There we go. Okay. Uh, let's see. What do we got to go through here, Mr. Braun? I, um, I don't know. I don't know. Well, we told you how to find us. We told you how to review us. Um, uh, what, what else do you want to tell them before we go, John? Nothing. 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 Okay, <laughs> thank you for listening. That's really what we like to say every time. Thanks for sending in all your questions, all your tips, your cool stuff found, it, it, and, and really just kind of, you know, the community that we have. The MacGeekGab family is awesome, and you are a part of it. So thanks to all of our premium subscribers. We, uh, I will go through the list next week. It's an hour and a half here, so we will, we will carve out time for all of you next week. Individually, thank you, but in, in general... Thank you. Uh, you folks are also obviously a big part of the family, as are our sponsors. Uh, of course, as we mentioned in the show, mintmobile.com slash mgg, mailroot.net slash mgg, smilesoftware.com slash podcast, expressvpn.com slash mgg, of course, otherworldcomputing at maxales.com, barebones.com, ero.com slash mgg, lino.com slash mgg. Thanks. To all of you, really just thanks for listening. Tell somebody about the show. I would love that. That would be awesome. Do
1: you have anything else to tell them, Dave?
0: I'm sorry, what's that, John? Do you have anything else to tell them? Oh. Hmm. Off the top of my head, nothing comes to mind. How about you, John? <laughs> no, Nothing? Nothing. Nothing. All right. Well, then I just have some advice for you, John, but this isn't for the listeners. This is just for you this week. And, and that is don't get caught. Made up.